0: What do you think right now in the market is the biggest myth or misconception about ETF? What is one thing you hear people talk about ETF, Mm. right? That you know is just flat out wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Misconceptions.
1: I think um, the first thing is trading volume. Mm -hmm. So many people say that ETFs are Mm. not liquid Mm. because trading volume sometimes can be zero
2: Okay. Mm. Um,
1: or, or it can be very low. Mm. So retail investors will think that, you know, I can get in, I cannot get out. Ah, mm. So that is actually the biggest myth that we have been trying to debunk for the entire four <laughs> years of my journey <laughs> in educating investors on ETFs. Okay. Um, if you look at it, uh, if you want to equate that to stocks okay. then you are perfectly right mm. okay because if there are no demand for the stocks uh, demand or supply then then you are kind of you know caught yeah. but for etfs are different because we appoint market makers mm-hmm. to provide liquidity liquidity to the to the uh, market uh, to the etf yeah. so what essentially the market maker do is on a daily basis their job is just to put up a bid price and uh, an offer price. Mm. So they are the buyer and they are the seller.
2: Okay.
0: Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co f-r-e-e or www.firl.co free. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Fire Podcast, best place for long-term stock investing. Now, today is a very special day, right? Because um, not only do we have a special guest, this is the first special guest that we'll have on ever on the Fire Podcast. Woo-hoo. And so we want to begin our journey of getting guests to uh, the Fire Podcast with a bang. And, um, you know, what? the lady that I will <laughs> be chatting to today is, uh, you know, Very, very impressive, but enough of that. Let me explain to you why. Well, first of all, she has a degree in mathematics from UKM. First and foremost, uh, most girls I realize uh, don't even want to be in engineering. Oh yeah. But this one, <laughs> mathematics. Lagi. Uh, Lagi John, you, you, you let me know, right? Yeah. Is it true that mathematics rather other than engineering? Oh, definitely, man. <laughs> right. it,
2: that's, why, that's why it's called fundamentals. Yeah. yeah. And applied.
0: Engineering and, is applied. Already. Yeah. Engineering borrowed <laughs> equations. <laughs> correct. Right? They correct. don't figure out why the equations are there, but maths do. Yeah. Okay. So she took those, those skills, right? And she started a career in a stand chart. And please correct me if I get anything missing. So, start off unit trust, treasury product manager. Move on to Citibank, they have the Alliance Bank, and then today, she is the head of product, uh, or rather, she was the head of product, and she is the now the director of Innovation Lab and Alternative Investment for arguably, I think, the second or third largest asset management company in Malaysia, which is Afin Huang Asset Management, or some people call it aham aham (laughs) okay but okay you you think okay that's great right but let me tell you this is to me this is way more impressive and now this is impressive not just because of what she has done but also because that she's a lady that that is doing this in a male dominated field yep okay so one i don't think there's anyone in uh, malaysia that's marketed etfs more than her exchange traded funds no one has done more work to promote uh, knowledge exposure insights into etfs than her and just to be clear she's also the person who has uh, essentially launched the most etfs on Bursa malaysia to be precise 40 percent of all etfs that you can trade on Bursa malaysia was launched by her some of the more famous ones will be and we'll talk about it a little yeah. bit later on will be uh the fang plus etfs the yeah. leverage etfs all these you know, fancy, fancy ETFs that, you know, something that you might want to look to in terms of investing. And welcome to the podcast, Ms. Chong Li Chu. Yes.
1: Thank you. Thank you, MJ. Thank you, John, for inviting me. Pleasure to be here.
2: Very humbled. You can make your time, actually. Yes.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Now, I'm really excited to get into the questions, but I think just to share some context about how we met. So I think uh, John has uh, interacted with you a lot more at our previous company. Yeah. So maybe, John, you want to share with us, like, how do you come in uh, contact with Lichu? I don't I don't know whether
2: she will remember this, but okay. it was uh, quite a momentous event for me because uh, it was the first time for me speaking in front of 550 Remisers. Do you wow. remember that event, Lichu? Yes, in
1: Kuching, <laughs> I think? No, was it, it was the,
2: the KL one. Kuching we the met the first one? time. Okay. The second time was in KL when we had the Remisers talk in okay. that, that, that hotel. I can't remember the name. Yep. Yeah, so I met her first in Kuching. Uh, right. I'm, I'm not going to keep this long. I'll yeah, just give yeah. it as short as possible. Yeah, yeah of course. But I met her ironically on stage, in a way. On wow. stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, my first impression was that she's very knowledgeable because for me, I hated gold. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and her job was to convince people to buy a gold ETF. So, so you instead, hated
0: it less after that. Yeah, I hated
2: it less after that. <laughs> uh, so
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: so that, that that's how I got to know Li Chu. And, uh, you know, um, when all this proliferation of uh, robo-advisory came about. She was the first person in in mind that I wanted to bring on to talk about this very, very interesting topic of ETF.
0: Awesome, awesome. Okay, so let's get into Mm. the questions, right? So uh, the first thing I'll ask you is actually, so I've shared with uh, our listeners your background and all that, but I think on a more personal level, right? How would you describe your investing history? Like Mm. walk me through the first time you put a dollar in the stock market or even properties or whatever, Mm. Go, Mm. you know? Show sure, sure us that.
1: Yeah. yeah, sure. I think um, I actually started as mm-hmm. a management trainee in Standard Chartered. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, and my very first department that I attached to was actually wealth management. Mm. Mm. So, naturally, you know, in the banks, we do unit trust mostly uh-huh. Uh-huh. at that time. And um, so so I started off with unit trust. And of course, the first investment that I invest into would be unit trust, right? Okay, okay. Uh, and the very first um, unit trust that I invested no longer exists today. Oh. <laughs> okay. oh.
2: Did the, it wind up or what? Yeah,
1: it kind of wind up <laughs> <laughs> because um, at that time, you know, it was a very sexy team uh, and I still remember I invested in 2007.
2: Mm, oh, mm. the peak. Yes, Ay-oh, at okay. the
1: peak. So, and then what happened, you know, we all know in 2008, yep. the global financial <laughs> crisis hit us and we all, you know, a lot of funds were actually closed down uh, after that.
0: And that was one of them. That of them. was okay. my
1: very first investment <laughs> and I can still remember <laughs> yeah, it. Okay, right, right. I don't, <laughs> so, so, in my investing journey, uh, I've dabbled with unit trust, uh-huh. uh, I've dabbled with uh, stocks, uh, of mm. course, okay. and then um, uh, I, I launched retail bonds in Standard Chartered, oh. uh, the very first in Malaysia, okay. uh, but of course, um, I'm not a sophisticated or high worth okay. investor, so we don't invest uh, directly in them. Okay. Uh, and then, um, you know, um, five, four, four, five years ago, then came ETF, and, and now um, I'm invested in mostly unit trust, ETFs. Okay. Um not so much um stocks directly because I really don't have the time to to right. monitor the stock I market see. myself, yeah. But okay. there's
2: not so much restriction within your company to say you can not buy There this.
1: there um it's not really restriction but the process is cumbersome. Like. I you know, being in the asset management company yes, we have yes. to get approval from mm. management before mm. we are allowed to buy any shares, buy right. or sell any shares. Understand. And we can't really um, churn as well. So we can't be trading um, shares. We have mm. to hold it for, um, I think easily 90 days before we can sell it. All. Oh, okay, So, oh, wow. so okay. there are quite a number of restrictions which make investing directly in the stock market for someone in my profession yeah. not as easy, I would say. Understand. So you
0: don't have the same uh, restrictions if you would uh ETFs or unit trusts
1: yeah unit trusts and ETFs uh we don't have to get approval but we just need to declare on a semi annual okay. basis oh, so semi-annual, it makes okay. things a lot easier if you if you invest it that through these two um investment right. products yeah
0: okay so have you enjoyed your journey so far with uh, both uh unit trust and ETFs obviously the beginning of mm. the journey wasn't so nice but after yeah. that you know
1: yeah, I think after that it was okay. okay. So to me, um, I look at investment. I think a little bit differently from uh, how some some okay. people actually look at it. To me, my active income is my job, right? Mm, so yes. I rather spend a lot of time, you know, refining my own mm. skill set, doing what I like to do, mm-hmm. um, and not looking at you know, financial reports, right. for example, or mm. financial statements. Because if I'm interested in that, I would be, you know, An in the fund manager, mm. being analyst, a fund manager or analyst, right? Yes. So that's not my passion per right. se. I see. Yeah, so that's why I, I prefer to just leave it to the experts, which are the fund managers right. to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I do not have the skill to, to do it on my own, but it takes quite a fair bit of time. And I, yeah, and I have a family to, to look after and all, right? So I, I wouldn't want to go down that route. That's right. why um, I'm happy with with uh, my investment in unit trusts and ETFs at the moment.
2: Is your passion? Uh, so if if I if I'm getting this correct, your passion is more into your career, which means more about
0: packaging a product, creating products, mm.
2: marketing it. Uh, that's yep. where. Okay. Yep. Right. Okay. okay. Mm.
0: So I mean, you know, unit trusts is one thing. Uh, it's a very established uh, industry, but ETFs are not right. Even yeah. though you're sharing with me before this podcast that. The first ETF was launched in two thousand and five. Yes, right? yes. But okay. obviously, it hasn't caught wind uh, mm. because you didn't market it. So now, <laughs> <laughs> now catching some wind. Uh, so she need to put a Midas touch. Yeah, there. correct, uh, correct, <laughs> correct, correct. So How I, I mean, be- <laughs> So maybe share with me and all of us. Like, when do you start um, dabbling, so to speak, mm. in in ETFs, and why did you do it?
1: Mm. I think we launched our very first ETF in 2017. Ah, December okay. of 2017. Oh, there's only about okay.
2: three years, four years. Ago. Yeah. yeah yep,
1: yep. Um, but we actually started the process in 2016. Took mm. us a year to launch the Sharia Gold ETF. Ooh. Ooh. And the complication come when, you know, um, being a Sharia compliant product for gold especially, mm. you need it to be convertible to physical gold. So ah. a person who invests into the gold ETF must have the option to actually redeem in physical gold. Oh,
3: so it was wow. very
1: difficult trying to find custodian, find to trying to find you know gold providers or gold sellers to mm-hmm. us, um, you know that were were able to facilitate the process.
2: And the redemption will be done via these gold sellers or they um, have to come through you guys?
1: Via the custodian, actually. I see. Yeah, so it's, it's really not easy. It's not something that, you know, um, it's available. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not easy to find that. And, and that's why, you know, um, launching the ETF is not the difficult part. It's trying to sort out all these operational procedures mm. and ensuring that, you know, we meet the regula- uh, regulations, the guidelines and all that is, you know, um, the more difficult part. Um, so so um, took us really you know a year to to finally do it, and mm-hmm. then after we launched our very first ETF, and then everything else is is a lot easier right. and, and smoother. Yeah, yeah.
0: because the, you've done it before, and yeah. of course you know what regulatory um, what mm. hurdles you need to cross, right? Mm. So I I think we get into the the mechanics of the ETF a little bit later, but I just want to ask you, right? I know this is a very basic question, but I have to ask you, right? What do you think is the best way to describe an ETF? Because the way we describe it, the way we describe it is a uh, is a collection of stocks, a basket and, of stocks, or other and, asset classes yeah. that is managed externally. Correct. Mm. Yeah. So maybe based <laughs> on a certain algorithm or whatever. Yeah. So maybe yeah. you can share with me based on uh on some based on someone who actually creates the ETF. Mm. Essentially, how yes. do you how will you describe mm. it? Yeah.
1: I think um, first of all, ETFs are always known as an index tracker. Okay. So what it essentially means, it, it tracks a particular index. Okay. So, you know, when we talk about KLCI or S&P 500, yes. we yep. all know that you know it's the largest 30 companies for KLCI yep. uh, in Malaysia. And then for S&P 500, it's the top or largest 500 companies within the um, US market, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially, if you launch or have an ETF um, that tracks a particular index, it simply just mirrors the holding of this um. Index. Okay. So today, you know, we talk about FBM, KLCI. We will talk about S&P 500, but in the past, when you want to invest in an index, you can't because index are just created as a reference, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's why, um, you know, uh, people create ETFs so that you as an investor can now invest into an index mm. via the ETF. So ETFs at the end of the day, I don't think you're wrong to say that it's a portfolio of stocks or yep. any asset classes. You are you are absolutely right. So it's just a portfolio of stocks um, or, you know, any asset classes that simply tracks a particular index. Mm. So um, it's kind of, um, and the structure of it is actually similar to a unit trust funds or a mutual okay. fund. Okay. The only difference <clears throat> is one is actively managed by a fund manager mm-hmm. and then ETFs are passively managed um, by a fund manager as well, mm-hmm. uh, but they simply track an index.
0: I see. Yeah. I see. Well, uh, and, uh, and I think the cost of holding or buying unit trust is of mm. course lower, right?
1: Buying the ETF is lower than... Uh, sorry, mm. the ETF, yes. Yep.
0: So um, I I've always wanted uh, to ask you, right, like in order to sustain uh, a unit trust uh, and versus an ETF, right? Mm. Uh, let's say unit trust, if you need 10 people to manage the operations, mm. how many people do you need for ETFs?
1: Um, I think in terms of managing um, the ETF and unit trust, I think the biggest difference here is how much resources do you need to put into analyzing companies,
3: mm. right? Mm. So, um,
1: if you ask me, um, in terms of operationally, how many people you know are required to be, you know, a data entry or to do marketing and things like that, um, they are more or less the same okay. between unit trust and ETF. Okay. But the only difference here is how many fund managers or analysts do you need mm, to manage one fund mm. versus an ETF because you don't need to pick stocks, right? right. ETF just mirror the index. So that's why, you know, you probably just need one. I see. I see. I
2: see. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I I have a supplementary question with regards to that because um, I used to be a public mutual unit trust consultant. And I think they launched their public index fund, which is index hugging KLCI probably about 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, would it be fair for me to say that those kinds of funds uh, versus an ETF in terms of operations, there's no difference? Uh?
1: No. Okay. No difference. Yeah. And yet
2: they charge. Okay,
1: yeah, there's something that I hate to say, but that's a fact.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll hold it there. You guys can connected. Yeah, notes. and I, I, I can imagine that you, you're in an industry where you've got two camps, right? one that wants yes. to be move forward and then Correct. there's a <laughs> legacy. Let's use the word legacy, okay? Correct. So, okay, so let's shift a little bit, right? Okay, sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. So, compared to Unit Trust, Individuals stocks, and all that, uh... Apart from the effort that you need to put in, right? What are the reasons who you share uh, as to why someone should, you know, try it for an ETF? Mm.
1: Um, I think, uh, if you ask me, mm-hmm. uh, if let's say you are an investor who can do your own stock picking, mm-hmm. right? Then, and if you're doing well, your portfolio is not losing money. Mm-hmm. And, yes, and, yes. and if you're doing well and you're enjoying the process, by all means, go ahead and mm. invest directly in the stock market.
3: Right. Okay. But there
1: are a lot of people out there who say, for example, if you're a marketing graduate, mm. would you ever understand how the finance industry works, how to read financial statements? Fair enough, there are people who who can pick up the skills. I'm not saying that you can't. You can pick up the skills, but there are a lot of people out there who just have no clue, Yep. right? So, and if you have no clue, does it mean that you don't invest and just put your money in FT? Mm. FT is at one plus Point. percent yeah, now, right? right? Yeah, and right. it's pathetic. <laughs> yeah. So that's why, you know, um, at the very least, if you ask me, you should then learn about mm. unit trust, about mm. ETFs mm. And, and see which you know, investment suits you. That's so right. um, for unit trust, you have, you know, unit trust consultants helping you, you know, um, basically guiding you what to invest in. Mm-hmm. But for ETFs, you need to do your own research mm. because there isn't really, um, if you want to look for a reminder that will recommend you ETFs, ETFs there are, I would say, close to none in <laughs> Malaysia course. or maybe a handful of them.
2: Because there's no incentivisation structure. Correct, yeah. correct.
1: So at the end of the day, you know, it's still based on how these people are being incentivized for yes. them to push. So for ETFs, unfortunately, there are not much incentive for people <laughs> to promote ETF, and mm. which is why the issuers like, like myself, um, um, you know, in Afin Huang, um, tries our very best to educate investors, mm. to talk to, to investors directly, mm. um, at least explain to them how, you know, the ETF structure is like, mm. um, and why they should invest in ETF, and, and then they make an investment decision based on it, right? So, so if you ask me, if you like, um, you know, you don't like to be paying a lot mm, right? right some people get turned off by the expensive sales charge yes, yep. uh, of a, of a mutual fund or unit trust yeah. and if you think that you want something that is of a lower charge and you are interested to at least try and understand how it works mm-hmm. then i think uh etf is actually a good um you know investment product Okay. For an investor,
2: mm, yeah. yeah. Do you get a bigger marketing budget because of that uh, rationale you just told me? Because if you don't, then I'll, I'll probably ring up your boss and say, "Hey, <laughs> that's the reason why you should give Chu
0: bigger marketing budget. Should be higher, uh, because yeah, now now the no, no research analysts to pay, uh, no so research analysts, <laughs> yeah. no
2: intermediary to yeah. pay commission. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But bear in mind <laughs> that yeah. the management fee that we earn for unit uh, for ETFs are also lower. That
2: that's the part that's the part where I mm. wanted to ask because I remember you made this remark and let me Mm -hmm. know if the sequence is right or not, MJ. Is uh you told me offhand that it's more expensive to set up an ETF as compared to Unit Trust. And I've been wanting to ask this question for for the longest time. Can can you let me know? Yeah, yeah.
0: If I want to launch
2: an ETF today, what do I have to do? What's step one? What step one, what step two, how much does it cost? And Mm. you know, yeah.
1: So I think the in the the very first thing that you need to do if you want to set up an ETF is the fact that you need to first look for the particular index that you want to track. Okay. 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 Because ETFs are index trackers, yes. so you mm-hmm. need to first identify what index do you want to track. So after having you know that particular index, um, and then you move on to your you know normal um, regulatory SC requirements la. like your SC and Bursa Malaysia. So you need to draft out the prospectus, the ah. hundred pages. Prospectus where wow. I think nobody reads. So <laughs> <laughs> only with
2: shots and maybe reads, right? Yes. Right, and write some yeah, more. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. So, so, so that product uh, a paper or prospectus gets you know submitted to SC as well as Bursa mm-hmm. for approval. Mm-hmm. And once they approve, then we can kick the product off the ground, right? Okay. So and we can launch it. So the reason why it's expensive is because for unit trust fund, you don't have to submit and list it on Bursa Malaysia. Uh,
0: so there's no listing oh, fees. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So a company, okay.
1: Correct. Yeah. So it's like a company. But the thing is, the thing about company listing is that they get to um you know charge this cost to the I the, the funds the, the, that they raise.
2: Understand. Because right? because you mm. the IB fees, the lawyer fees, everything they correct. get to charge. On the IPO proceeds.
1: Correct. Yeah. Whereas for an ETF, you can't. Ah, it's absorbed by the fund management company. I mm. see. So we have to pay the listing fees. Okay. That's one. Um, and then secondly, um, when you talk about, you know, uh, tracking the index, mm. everybody is trying to make money here, right? Okay. Yes. So the index providers, you know, be it F, uh, FTSE, be it S&P, yes, they yes. would charge um, a fee yep. um, because you are using their index. their index. Right. Right. So that fees, um, Is supposed to be borne by the fund. But what we do um, in order to try and cap our expense ratio for the fund is that our company will absorb um, some, Uh. if not all of the index costs, depending on the fund size. So that's why if, um, and that's because we believe that ETF will grow, right? So once it grows, the fees is actually not that significant if your fund size is big. It's probably at about one percent, two percent. No, less than that. 0.1, 0.2 ah, So it,
2: the fee is based on the fund size as well. Correct. Ah. And there is also,
1: and because there's a minimum charge, mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
2: so
1: the smaller your fund size, the higher that that percentage. Of course,
3: yeah.
2: So yeah, that's
1: why um, what we do is we absorb those costs.
2: I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. So okay. so
1: that if you add that up, <clears throat> and because we are at the initial stage, <clears throat> it can be costly.
0: I see. Yeah. I see. You you mentioned about growth. You talk about growth, right? Do you mind since Basically, this field is your field, right? Uh, or do you mind sharing some of the stats behind that growth, right? Yeah. Is it uh, 10% growth, 20% growth in terms of, and how you measure yourself, right? Let's say you have to go to your boss and say, hey, my job is to bring ETFs to the next level. Market mm. share, how big? Yeah. 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 How yeah. do you How do you judge yourself? What are mm. the metrics? Number of people buying ETFs, volume yeah. traded. Well, mm. you know, maybe you can share.
1: I think we look at a couple of uh, you know different metrics. Okay. Uh, because if I just look at purely AUM growth, uh-huh. it it I mean. Um, in absolute terms, uh-huh. it's not that great. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I'll just give you an example. For example, last year we launched um, uh, in July. We launched a REITs ETF. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we um, so far, I think up to now, we only have about three million AUM, okay. which is small. Mm. If you compare it with the fund uh, unit trust industry, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but to us, we are in a way uh, happy that we see progress because number one, um, the number of investors investing into ETFs mm. have grown. Okay. From the very first day I met John where when I was trying to <laughs> yeah. sell a gold ETF to yeah. to retailers to even yeah, yeah. um educate reminders, people were basically saying that uh, it's okay, no thank you. You know. <laughs> and at that point in time I think we had maybe less than fifty unit holders or investors oh, into that fund. Wow. But now it has grown many, many folds. I see. Um because of you know, the awareness, because of the education roadshows that we have been doing. I see. Um right. they are of course still skeptics there for sure, for who sure. don't believe in it which is fine yeah. uh, but there are people who are con, you know a believer now uh, so they're converts, converts. <laughs> yeah they are the they are the converts okay. so so it's a good thing um, and and one of the thing the other thing that we are very happy about is actually um the turnover okay. in terms of uh you know the trading volume okay, I, see. Uh, I think we take up about um 70 to maybe 80%, 80% of the trade uh, entire ETF trading volume wow, in Malaysia, wow, wow yeah. So which means that anybody who goes into trade ETFs, they are mostly are uh, actually trading uh, Arfin Huang's mm. ETFs. Okay,
0: so what are these uh, mm. ETFs? Because I know uh, for Arfin Huang, there's about eight, right? Yep. So uh, what are these ETFs, and which are the that's called top performer? Which are the most actively traded? Which are the most requested? Mm. Highest AUM, and whatnot
1: not? Yep. Um, the highest AUM act is actually the gold ETF.
0: Mm, interesting,
1: because the bearish it's, is a very <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, it's it's uh, you know it's a surprise to you guys, but uh, that was our very first ETF, and it mm. remains uh, the largest in terms of AUM for now. Okay,
2: will you um, be able to divulge the numbers? Uh, how big the I AUM is?
1: I cannot recall, but it's all transparent on our website. I see. So you can actually is get it. Is it
2: like uh, more than 100 million as you recall?
1: um, Used to be, but I think yesterday there was a huge redemption if I'm not wrong. Because of the so, recent yeah, sell-off. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. So that's, uh, it used to be at about 100. 100 okay. Yeah, about that's
3: pretty impressive AUM, actually. For yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. gold. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, and then followed by our new China ETF. Mm. Oh. New China ETF. Uh, that was actually our second ETF.
3: Okay.
1: Um, and that has done um, pretty well as well in terms of the number of uh, investors as um, and also the AUM.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, again, it's not big. Like I think it's uh, the China ETF is probably at about 20, yeah. 20 million okay. there about the okay. AUM. The rest are, I would say, small. Okay. Um, so which means that our hottest is actually gold.
3: Okay. Um,
1: <laughs> China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, FANG we have a FANG leverage ETF yep. which performance wise has done very well mm-hmm. um, yep. since we listed in November last year mm-hmm. it's up 200%. Wow. Oh, uh, the leverage
0: one? Yes. Wow. Because it's, I think if I recall
2: How many times leverage? One, one, one time and then two times. Two times, two times. The, the inverse is one time, right? Yes. Ah. Wow. Yep. So okay. that
1: has done very well but um, in terms of volume and demand it's um, uh of course lower than the plain vanilla ones. Okay. Yeah.
0: How come you all didn't decide to put Fang T? Where's <laughs> the T? Tesla? No, Tesla
1: is inside. Oh, inside. So it's a called wonder. Fang Plus oh, because, because the, the plus indicates other technology. So it's F-A-A-N-G plus Tesla plus Twitter Baba mm, Baidu. Mm, mm, yeah. The bad stocks. Yeah.
0: Yep. yeah. I see. Mm. Okay, okay. So I just want to shift back, right, about Adoption of ETF, mm. right? And I find the approach you are taking, which is the retail one, quite interesting because yeah. I contrast it with the largest ETF market in the mm. world, which is the US, Yes, right? mm. Why is it that the US is so big and people love ETFs? It's yeah. because, I mean, in terms of what they call their 401k, which is mm. their pension fund. Yeah. The EPF, EPF equivalent. equivalent the EPF mm. equivalent. They have the option to actually buy ETFs. Yeah. Now, I know in Malaysia, EPF, <coughs> you have the option to buy unit trust. Yes. Mm. So let me ask you this question. One, do you think that if that option for EPF holders to buy, um, uh, let's say a Fang Plus or what, mm. whatever, KLCI ETF, GO ETF, whatever, do you think that's going to help? One. And two, what's stopping? Why is it not happening yet? Mm.
1: <laughs> well, I think this is actually under the purview of EPF. Okay. Um, Bursa and, and, and ourselves have been trying to lobby this I to see. them. I see. Oh, good. And uh, we hope to see that coming uh, one day. Uh, we don't know how long because, you know, the process to get certain things done yes. in EPF, you yeah. know, is can take because Because
2: logically, you talk about fees and everything, mm. right? In terms of cost, uh, yeah. it's so much lower than...
1: Do you I, know why the, the ETF industry in the US bloomed? I oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So actually, why it's not really because of the 401k. Oh, it's okay. because of financial advisor. Oh. oh wow. So okay. in the US, because I mean, they are a sophisticated and, and developed market, right? Yeah. So what happened is today, if you go to a financial advisor and say, you know, can you please um, give me a fine, um, you know, retirement plan, for example, the financial advisor actually charge a fee.
2: Ah, uh, okay. So
1: the fee can range, um, can be something that is up payable upfront. Yes. Or it can be something that is recurring. Based on so, an AUM, right? Correct. Yeah. So they can they can be charging, let's say, 1% per annum. Mm-hmm. And that's actually equivalent to the fund manager fees, right? Yes. Oh, so yeah. what the financial advisor's duty is then, because I'm charging you 1%, mm. I need to lower down the product cost. I
2: see. So they
1: then go to the market and pick ETFs instead of unit trust funds.
2: I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so,
1: but in Malaysia, because the incentive for the advisor <laughs> is tied to the product that they sell, unfortunately. I think this is a problem um, or an a challenge that uh, the entire Asia market actually faced. Correct. That's why in, in Asia, ETFs um, has that limitation when it comes to growth because we are not paying the advisor uh, as a client. Yeah. You're not paying the advisor directly. You you are being inset- yeah, Incentiv- uh, incentivized in another way. Right. So, so, so mm-hmm. I've actually read this uh, analogy somebody actually shared, okay, which I okay. find it very interesting. Yeah. It's like you going to the doctor.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, Imagine okay. yes. the
1: doctor said that, you know, oh, I will prescribe you this this, this medicine because I'm paid by the pharmaceutical <laughs> oh, com- company, yeah. right? But you are actually, you know, the patient actually have to pay the doctor for the advice that they give. So, so I mean, if you turn and flip this incentive or commission structure around, um, then I think the ETF market actually has a chance to to grow. I believe they call it
2: fee based, right? To be more, there's three. uh, I was just listening Mm. to a podcast. There is fee only, fee based, and obviously the normal comms are. Yeah. So fee, uh, fee only is the one that you should be looking for. Fee only means even if there is incentivization for on the advisor, financial advisor, right? He or she has to return all the commissions back to, and purely, because fee, that's why it's called fee only. But right. fee-based, which I think is more of a hybrid, correct me if I'm wrong, Lee Chu, mm. uh, is, is that you have to, they, the, the commission still go to the advisor. I see.
0: So yeah. let me get this straight. Right? Let me explain it this way, right? Yeah. So what you're saying is, if let's say, Magically, you mm. become uh, the prime minister, and you ban <laughs> okay, all this uh, commission base. Yeah. yeah. So what will happen is because, let's say I'm a high net worth individual, and my financial advisor, I paying him a fee only. Yeah. So a flat fee, mm. right? So because the upside for the financial advisor is capped. Yeah. Therefore, when I go out to recommend products to my client, mm-hmm. I'm gonna pick the lowest in this case, it yeah. would be ETF. Of course, it's close to zero yeah. percent growth. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. So you're saying you, you're thinking that okay, once that happens, so all these high net worth individual people, let's say they get on the ETF bandwagon, so that trickles down into the the I hate to use the word the lower classes. Yeah. And then that's when you see mass adoption. Am I right to say that? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. In a ah. way, yes. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, because it's always it always thrills us when we show stats. are uh, like you know if. Uh, MJ and I, we always use this chart called the Trillion Dollar Club. I don't know whether mm. you heard yeah. of it. Uh so it, it it actually lists down or shows the size of the biggest uh um, funds in, in the world. And you know, you see guys like BlackRock, State Street, yeah. and the majority yeah. of whatever they, they do is actually ETS, and that's what the mm. majority of what is in Stash Away, which is a state street. BlackRock or yeah. Fidelity. It's ETF for ETFs. Yeah, it's yeah. An
0: ETF for <laughs> ETFs, you know? It's just collecting ETFs it's like and a putting a it together. It's a fund of
1: funds. Yeah, it's a, yeah.
0: Funds of yeah, fund. yeah. Yes, it's a fund of funds. So, why do you like it? Is it true that it seems to me like it's almost impossible to overturn this, right? Because there's so much financial interest to keep the system in place. <laughs> <laughs> right, like but it, it, how do you how will you go about? Mm, you know?
1: to be honest, this is a very very difficult decision that maybe the regulators have to make.
0: I see. Um,
1: yes. because uh, in I mean in US in Europe, I think uh, some in some countries they kind of ban this you know fee that is tied oh. to um, commissions, basically you mean? product the product paying. Um, you know commissions or incentive to the salesperson right mm. because then you are product pushing yes you will sell products that give you the highest revenue from um, yes, you yes. know a consultant standpoint yeah um, so in some countries they kind of um, stop this okay um, but in Asia I think there are many regulators who prefer not to rock the boat to yeah to rock <laughs> the boat and just leave it as it is because yeah. if you were to convert uh-huh. You know, it could be massive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, given that I'm from, you know, the <laughs> asset management <laughs> company, um, like it or not, this this unit trust funds uh, have been the bread and butter. Yeah, and right. they, they have been, you know, giving us um uh, good income. income. Yeah. Yeah. Um and of course if um, the fund manager can still derive alpha, i.e. they can still right. give you returns, yes. um, net of fees, yes. I think the industry will not die. right? Yeah. right? Um, but there they are, you know, there should be that opportunity to be given right. to the ETF uh, space yes. to, to help them grow. Because if we can't scale, mm-hmm. because ETF, to be honest, is a, is a game of scale. Yeah. Yes, if yes, you yes. cannot bring the AUM to a certain scale that, you know, it's, it's, can sustain itself yeah. from an income basis, yeah. um, then you will not see you know issuers coming in to issue. You will not see um, us trying to sustain because by us doing marketing, yeah. we are essentially just burning money. I'm not. I'm That's not right, making money. Yeah. Is I'm just small. throwing. Yeah, yeah yes. just throwing throwing um, money out to do marketing. But because we, um, um, my my CEO, Mister Ting, actually has um, um, this this. Believe that you know ETFs will grow one day. We don't know when this will come. Yeah, but eventually it will come. So we might as well prepare ourselves and be ahead of time and yeah. and just ride out this this
3: yeah. uh current
1: yeah. growth stage now which can be painful yes. uh you know from a monetary standpoint. Of course. But, Obviously. But but I think it's a it's a good thing. It's a long forward. game now that you are yeah, trying to play yeah.
0: yeah, but you know, do you think that in terms of the the industry, the unit trust mm. industry? Because I think one of the things that you know like us fund managers or anyone any country that's pro etfs uh what the thing they basically say is that you get an etf uh yeah you don't generate any alpha by definition right you don't Mm. uh, beat the market because you're buying the market Yeah, you're buying the market Uh, but when you buy the market let's say you get a good seven to nine percent return every year um versus a unit trust where it's almost like a a gamble right it's almost a throwing darts right Mm. um because most fund managers, as we, uh, at least in the US, actually don't mm. perform better. Something like 97% don't perform better mm. than the index. So yep. do you find that similar in Malaysia or it's a different mm. story?
1: Actually, in Malaysia and some of the Asian markets, it's actually a different story. Mm-hmm. So ah. because our markets are not as efficient, mm. so... Um, our fund managers can still beat the market. So if you take a look, for instance, the FBM KLCI mm, yeah. has been flat <laughs> for <laughs> the longest <laughs> time, it, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, only last year we see we saw some actions <laughs> in <laughs> the KLCI. Yeah, <laughs> other, so, <laughs> yeah, so other than last year, um, if you track the longer term performance of KLCI, it's, it's very, very flat. Abismo. And um, if you say throw a stone uh, at any fund, Malaysian uh, fund, right. um, there is, I think, quite a high percentage that they can beat the KLCI, net or fees. Mm, net so, of which fees. is why, um, you know, the fund managers can continue to exist. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you know, it's, uh, I mean, in a way, yes, it's like a gamble because you don't know which fund manager is good, right? Yes. And the funds could be, in a way, identical. Like, mm. they they have the same thing. And, and for an investor, you can't really see the portfolio of these two investors. So, how do you then... Compare,
2: make a judgment, and call. make your
1: yes. So that yeah. part is not easy uh, for an investor. But um, if you have a good um, advisor with mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. then that advisor will is supposed to be doing that job of making right. that selection. I see. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now let's let's shift over to. Uh, okay, so we talked a little bit about the. Um, indices available the ETFs available and what I notice is that there's a lot of more non-Malaysian type of indices mm. uh, index funds uh, or ETFs like so Go is not obviously not a Malaysian yep. yeah Fang Plus is not yep. China it's not and mm. these are the core products right? Mm. so in Malaysia from my understanding there's at least like 7 to 8 right definitely more than five different indices that's the industrial index that's mm. the technology index and all that
2: and then sharia amas and all sharia that amas.
0: yeah yep, yep. so what's what's interesting is that um some people will say right why would i bother buying the klci index when it's going to be flat for six years right i mm. um, not as bad as japan of course but you know <laughs> uh six years is not fun yeah but then i think part of it is also because let's say for example uh if it even though I don't really know stock markets very well, but I know the technology sector is doing well. Mm. But and I want to be part of the Malaysian technology sector, yeah. and there's already a technology index, index for that sector. So my question is right: Is there any effort or any intention at all from, whether it's your company or what you observe in the market, to actually produce, uh, to break down the Malaysian market into all these sub indices?
1: Mm. I think for us at the moment, we don't really see that demand okay. because um, investors, uh, like it or not, still think that the Malaysian market um, is still quite quite small and, and right. flat. Okay. So the reason why Afin um, Huang, we, we try not to do too many of Malaysian mm. uh, underlying is because you have to bear in mind, you know, the the immediate my immediate target segment, right? right. My immediate target segments are people who have a CDS account, which okay. means they are already trading stocks ah, in Malaysia. Okay. So these people would want to pick their own stocks. Mm. Understand? They don't want you to throw wow. them a basket, right? That's they want to pick which stock in whichever um, sector that they want. That they think they that they can either speculate or that they can invest it for the long term. Mm. So that's why we don't do that. We rather you know try and complement uh, their portfolio and uh. tell them them hey you know look here you can invest in China without leaving your without leaving Bursa Malaysia. Uh, this so, is a, a
2: hedge. way. Yeah. So it's right.
1: it's a, a hedge and as well as diversification. Mm. So that's why we bring uh, mostly offshore. Uh, indices mm. to Malaysia. Mm. So unless you know, if we see that you know there is huge demand from retail investors, which mm. we hope to to arrive at one yep. day, yep. Um, that's when we could expand this offering right. to you know down to the sectors uh, in Malaysia. But for now, I think we don't see that.
2: Also, None. I think it's a struggle because uh, some of these technology companies listed, on correct me if I'm wrong, Chu, mm. But the market cap is just too small. Yes, correct. Right. That's also so, that's limited So free float. If you if just just imagine, if you have an AUM of 100 million, and then the company <laughs> you want to invest in, <laughs> yeah. market cap right. 100 million, 10 percent free float. You, you already you already struggle, and yeah. you want you want that basket,
0: right? Correct. So. Would you say that a lot of the, in your own words, the target market, a lot of them are in their, the older generation? Is that right?
1: Um, not really. Actually, what we want to try and target are actually the younger crowd, okay.
0: mm-hmm. the mm-hmm.
1: younger investors. Um, the older ones, I think, lucky or not, they rely a lot on their... Remisier. Uh, remisiers. Yeah. Rely a lot on their unit trust consultants and whatever they say, they will just buy, mm, right? Yeah. But the younger ones are the ones that will, you know, compare, um, you know, read up uh, and find out more about the product before they jump into it. Mm. So I think our target segment are people who... Can or, or wants to customize their own portfolio. Understand. Um, but without going into the stock market, uh, uh, or, you are going and, too deep, lah. Yes, correct. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so now I'm gonna ask you this, uh. mm. So yeah. you you also you know you launched the first ETF in 2017. Um, so you got a good four years with really you about looking at ETFs, writing uh, love letters called. Prospectors. And what do you think right now in the market is the biggest myth or misconception about ETF? What is one thing you hear people talk about ETF, Mm. right? That you know is just flat out wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Misconceptions.
1: I think um, the first thing is trading volume. Mm -hmm. So many people say that ETFs are not liquid
2: Mm. because
1: trading volume sometimes can be zero Okay. Mm. Um, or, or it can be very low. Mm. So retail investors will think that, you know, I can get in, I cannot get out.
3: Ah, mm.
2: So that
1: is actually the biggest myth that we have been trying to debunk for the entire four <laughs> years of my journey in educating <laughs> investors on ETFs. Okay. Um, if you look at it... Uh, if you want to equate that to stocks, okay. then you are perfectly right. Mm. Okay, because if there are no demand for the stocks, uh, demand or supply, then then you are kind of you know caught. Yeah. But for ETFs are different because we appoint market makers mm-hmm. to provide liquidity liquidity to the to the uh, market uh, to the ETF. Yeah. So what essentially the market maker do is on a daily basis, their job is just to put up a bid price and uh, an offer price. Mm. So they are the buyer. And they are the seller.
2: Okay. Mm.
1: So they are the ones that, you know, consistently put up the price and they are refreshing the NAV because we know that it's a basket of stocks. That's right. So it has to be valued. Yes. Right? Yeah, so that's right. on a you know, instant basis, they are refreshing the price based on the underlying equities prices. I
3: see.
2: So
1: if the you know, say if let's say this um China ETF is holding 10 cent, yeah. and if 10 cent is falling, okay. um, let's say we hold 10% right so then the nav or the market price of this etf will come down in right. corres- uh, uh, corresponding to the movement of the underlying okay. uh, shares that we hold okay. so their job is actually two things one is to be the buyer and the seller okay. and the second thing is they have to make sure that the price that they quote is around the nav or the fair value of the particular etf
0: i see yeah. so am i am i right to say that there will always be a buyer. Yes. Wow. Mm. Yes. Wow. So, so why is it persistent then? Why, why, is it, why is it persistent? I say, is it just purely because there's no trading volume? That's what people say.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for real. <laughs> because because people will tell me they don't look at you know, the queue. So so they do. And what they notice is uh, there is just okay, one okay. queue, right? Because the market maker is just one person, one it cannot, entity. It cannot
2: be four
0: market or five yes, market debt.
1: Correct, <laughs> cannot. You know, there's just one market debt. And you will see that the number of investors is just gonna be one.
0: <laughs> one if, very if, big yeah, one, yeah. one. So the big, big one, yes. <laughs> and
1: this big one, it theoretically speaking, can be infinite. So although that's the wheel
2: there, the wheel, <laughs> the wheel is waiting yeah. all the time. Yeah. So
1: for, for for instance, now you see, you know, uh, one seller quoting yeah. one thousand lot, for yeah. instance, right. yeah. and the minute somebody grabs that, this their market maker algo will immediately replenish back oh, to one thousand. Oh. So forever, if you log in, you'll see one, 000, <laughs> one buyer, one seller, <laughs> and and if you don't take the effort to go, you know, to I read understand. up and yeah. understand you will think that hey, who is this person? Why is it so <laughs> odd that every day when I log in, I see this, this one seller and one buyer trying to just buy and sell this 1,000 right. yeah. uh, lot, right? Yeah. Um, and, and those for those who have uh, understood this, yeah. uh, will then now uh, feel very comfortable to invest because they actually know that there's somebody out there who will buy and sell to them. Okay. Yeah.
0: At the price that they
2: that at, they at the, want. Correct. At the yeah. At the NAV. At the NAV. Because, because the NAV has to reflect the underlying, mark. Right. So yeah. let's just say. Yeah. yeah of course. Of course. The the index is down. Then they I mm. would either have to sell to to reflect, yeah. which is correct if I'm wrong, Nichu, But in a way, is similar to the structure of a uh, unit trust in because you when you are buying and selling a unit trust, you're mm. actually buying from the issuer, right? Yeah. And that's why they have to provide that kind. So. Do ETF have the similar problem with unit trust or not? Where some unit trust, they cap the size of the AUM. Whereas mm. an, an ETF, does, does they have a, that kind of restriction?
1: Um, there is that limitation for sure. Because okay. if let's say like you said just now, right? Yeah. If you are investing into a company with 100 million market cap, yeah. my ETF cannot go up to 1 billion,
3: ah, right? Understand.
1: And, and depending on... on um, the guidelines that we have to comply with. Okay. Sometimes there could be that restriction that we cannot hold, say, 20% of that particular company's um, you know, market. Cap. Yeah, Correct. Yeah. So, so it, we are subjected to this this sort of um, limitations limitations. Uh-huh. Uh, that's why, you know, for the Malaysian ETF, you know, it can there there can be that potential liquidity problem. Limit. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'm gonna ask a very silly question, uh, which is so am I right to say right because the price is based on the uh, index, right? The NAV. Yeah. Mm. So, does it make sense for me to say that even without any trading, the price can go up?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So so if you if you actually monitor, um, every day the price will move in right, accordance right, right, to right. to the to the underlying shares that they hold. Um, the, there need to be no trade. Wow. And and the price will just go up or go down mm. corresponding to, to the movement. But there is one one catch here, however, okay. is that the fact that the market makers are not Godla, right? They <laughs> can't be there forever, right? Yeah. So um there are times when, you know, sometimes it could be their yeah, system issue. So they are down for mm. a few minutes or it could be um, certain um, ETFs that we, we, we launch, we have uh, different timing okay. in terms of the market maker timing. Right. Okay. So like for example, new China ETF tracks Hong Kong and US Okay. Uh, shares.
2: Right. Oh, so so Hong zone, Kong yeah. is only
1: open oh. at nine thirty. Okay. Wow. So between nine and nine thirty, there will be no quotes. Market maker is not going to quote anything oh, because yeah. the market is closed, uh, yeah. right? So when that happens, um, then it is purely based on supply and demand, ah.
3: which also
1: means that an investor might be caught buying or selling at a premium or a discount. Oh. So because then there's no market maker to quote a fair price, I right? Understand. And as an investor you will think that this trade's like shares. I see. And you will just, you know, go in and assume that, oh, this could be the market maker price and then you, you just take it. I see. And then you end up buying at a... Hopefully at a they get it
2: at a the dis- discount. Uh.
1: fully they get <laughs> a can, discount, yes. you can get
2: an arbitrage. Uh.
1: <laughs> but what we notice is that most of the time, it's investors actually bought at a premium because oh. there is a behaviour in retail investors, right, that after they buy, uh-huh. they like to queue for their target at a... Uh, yeah, kill yeah, course, the sell at their target price. <laughs> of course, yeah. So what happens is that when market maker is out of the picture, then their quote appears. Oh. So it could be like a five, ten percent
2: yep. premium. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So and and if you are not well informed.
2: You're buying from another investor rather yes, than market right. maker.
1: Correct. <laughs> so that is one of that danger
2: Understand.
1: Uh, or, or trap that right. a retail investor could fall into. Actually it's the same as Warren, yes. if you ask me. Yeah.
2: People buy co-warrants thinking yep. that it's actually this
0: way, but actually co-warrant is this way.
1: Put put warrant. Yeah,
0: put warrant. Okay, okay. I'm not gonna talk too much about options as a totally, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, either, yeah. So I want to go dig deeper into some of these ETFs. So now I understand, for example, um oops, sorry. I understand, for example, right, um, let's say Fang Plus or Go, all that. These are established ETFs where they basically hug uh whatever ETFs they are. Now in the case of you know, before the podcast, you were talking about things like momentum ETFs. Mm. uh, You're saying smart beta ETFs. Um, How are these constructed? Are they similar? Because is is there a momentum index? Is there a smart beta index as well for you to to Mm. follow?
1: Yeah, there are actually. So what the index providers like S&P and FTSE, they are Mm. doing is that they want to try and um, uh, standardize... um, uh, the investment process of a fund manager. Mm. For instance, if they look at momentum, mm, then right. you know they will try and put in some rules okay. to basically filter out um, uh, momentum stocks. Okay, so that's um, additional um, rules that they put into their screening process. Understand. Okay, so what happened is that, for example, um, there could be you know value. Mm. Value value yes, right index, so yeah, there's yeah. a value index where they will then look at you know uh, different uh, yeah. matrix and they will say that okay let's put this into the screening process okay and that's when they derive um, to a basket of value stocks okay right so they are just trying to you know systemize that approach I of see. stock selection okay. um, and that's what essentially smart beta ETFs or index are. Okay. Okay. So, like momentum, what they'll do is they look at momentum of the stocks. Okay. It could be based on price. It could be based on, um, certain um, you know, matrix that the index provider deem fit. I see. And once they have that, then they will come up with that index. Okay. Okay. So with that index, the issuer like ourselves will then again um subscribe to this index and I track this index. I see.
2: Okay, so I so see. even
1: though it is a smart beta, uh, ETF. Uh, the, the smart beta per se actually happens at the index level Understand not at the, the fund level. manager or the issuer's level
2: okay so yeah. the, have you seen I mean probably not just in Malaysia elsewhere in the world mm. the issuer ins- themselves create an index or a tracking mechanism mm. to for their ETFs. Have yeah, you seen they that? are.
1: So in the US, I'm, I don't know if you guys heard of ARC. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. So ARC invests, um, they don't do passive ETFs. Okay. Yes. So they do active ETFs, yeah. So which means that they are simply just listing a mutual fund.
2: Understand.
1: So, so for those type of ETFs, they are not index trackers. Understand. Yeah, but in Malaysia, we we are not there yet, lah. Okay,
0: understand. <laughs> so we we kind of have one in the form of, I believe, iCapital. Oh, so yeah, so I that is like no. That,
1: yeah, that's a close close end, end fund. Close, yeah, okay, so it's okay. slightly different from okay. from ETF as well. Yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. Right, mm. right. No, because uh, I was going through ETF DB and mm, I was like yep. looking through it all the performance of ETF is quite mm. sad, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite sad because uh, I don't remember the all the figures off the top of my head, mm. but the best performing one that I saw, besides ARK, yeah. Art was one, yeah, course, number one and two, right? Especially now. Uh, the closest one was uh, BlackRock Technology Fund. Mm. Okay. But then when I read through the details, it's actually, it's only for high net worth individuals. Oh, Yeah, there's a minimum of uh, 1 million buy-in.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, so it US dollars. Mm, uh, so mm. it's like it, it but the rest, are uh, I mean, I'm, I'm asking from a point of the average retail investor, what mm. what is this entry into the game? And I, I don't see that. That's why I'm asking you if it's so we've got this plain vanilla index hugging, you've got this smart beta, mm. you've got someone like uh Ark which is an active ETF, and then yeah. you've got someone like BlackRock which only serves high net high net worth individuals. So would it be fair for me to say that for the retail investor, the plain vanilla Expectation should be anywhere between 7 to 10% kind in of in terms return. of return yeah
1: mm, i would say it depends on the index that you're tracking because okay. if you look at S&P 500 for example okay. i think on average historically it's at about closer to 10% okay. um growth so i think that that's the that kind of returns that you sh- you can expect from maybe the US market but if you talk about malaysia okay uh it can be a bit sad, <laughs> depending search, search. on what flat-ish. index. <laughs> it's yeah, depending on what index uh, that you 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 track. I see. So, like for example, uh, in Malaysia, uh, last year we launched a momentum ETF mm-hmm. that okay. tracks the Malaysia market. Okay. So ah, yeah, okay. so we pick that's the only Malaysian <laughs> underlying ETF that we have, okay. and it tracks twenty um, stocks, uh, larger cap stocks okay. that in um, that has high momentum. I see. So this particular index actually very interesting. Okay. It is actually um, provided by NASDAQ.
3: Okay. Mm. So they
1: have that in the US. I think Invesco actually um, has, oh, Invesco. has yeah. ETFs uh, tracking their momentum yeah. uh, index in the US market and it has historical return perspective. Okay. It's fantastic. What, what? Um, it's at about, uh, I think, on average for uh, since 2005, maybe, okay. uh, analyzed return is at about close to 20. For Malaysian market, yeah? So for Malaysia market and large cap. So Uh, when we saw this index, Uh we were like, wow, this is something that we want. So you had
2: to pay Nasdaq the royalty to to use this index. Okay. Okay. Amazing.
1: So this is one of the I guess um, something that we thought, you know, it's it's good for the Malaysian market.
2: Why is it not marketed? I didn't know (laughs) what it (laughs) is.
1: It is, but it's it's not easy to to, you know. Don't hush-hush,
2: la, you know. Ayo. Let me know. La, this kind of kang tao also. God, also God, God. La.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so we launched this in July last okay. year. Um, It's up about 14, 15%. Wow. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. okay. Good. So,
1: um, and these are your big names. Like um, in the past, uh-huh. if we would have launched it early of 2020, the basket would have a lot of Almost all the glove companies are in there. Ah. So we didn't launch fast enough. Okay. We should have launched before before MCO. Yeah. And we would have captured all those, you know, returns, handsome yeah. returns. Okay. Now I think in the latest rebalancing, you know, gloves are totally out. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So so um it goes through a quarterly rebalancing ah. process.
2: Yeah. Okay, good. I, I want to ask about this rebalancing mm. because I've I've researched, maybe I didn't research hard enough, but Take me through the process of rebalancing an ETF and how often must it be done? Meaning to say that if there's a disparity between the index versus Mm. the NAV, how fast should that rebalancing happen?
1: Okay. um, The rebalancing doesn't really address the issue of it being, um, you know, um, not in line with uh, the NAV. Okay. Okay? Rebalancing happens at the portfolio level where, for example, uh KLCI goes through a uh, twice a year rebalancing uh, process or frequency, right? Okay. So what they do is um, they basically just have a cutoff date to then pick the largest 30 stocks.
2: Okay. Because oh. your market
1: cap moves yes. in line with your prices, yeah. right? Yeah. So they will just then you know have companies being included and excluded. then being excluded. Mm. Right? So the rebalancing um, that we talk about always refers to this process. So, so it's the
2: same for Sharia, I guess, Not May and November, if it's mm. a Sharia index? Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So that's what the, the, the rebalancing process typically uh, do. I see. Yeah. So it doesn't really, um, we don't really monitor the NAV versus right. the, the price of the index because okay. at the end of the day, if your holdings are exactly the same, then your movement should be the same. I understand. But like, you know, um, if I have 10 million AUM, for instance,
3: okay.
2: I
1: cannot mirror the exact exactly, weightage exactly. of, of the index. Yeah. So that is why there is always that discrepancy mm. in terms I of see, performance. I see. So that would mean that you could actually do a little bit better if, let's say, assuming your your slight differential in your weightage, yes. is, okay. you know, favours the... Um, say you bought more the, Tesla. Yeah, for yeah. example, yeah, yeah. Then, then you do better. I so see. for like
0: momentum, let's say, right? how often would you have mm-hmm. to rebalance? Like Sharia, we know is uh, what, twice a yeah, year, November, right? Yeah. So like momentum, because that's volatility can be different exactly. in different time the, periods. That's right? why I'm, I'm scratching my head to understand So this. is yeah. there like a schedule every week you must go? To no, there.
1: it's actually quarterly. Uh, so uh, some uh, investors uh, will say that, you know how huh, quarterly, uh, you know, everything will be off Really, yeah, correct, correct. Um. So, but what NASDAQ is trying to do is they actually use point and figure chart um, to determine momentum.
3: Okay. So
1: it's um, an overlay of a technical ah, uh, analysis. I see. So so they um, aim to sniff out longer term momentum trends. I see. Uh, and also relative. La. So I you you can't, um, you, it could be, you know, two stocks, prices are declining, but just because one is declining um, at a faster slow, rate or slower uh, rate, slower rate then, then it's deemed as having that that um, higher momentum. I that see. That could be, um, you know, the case as well.
0: I see. Mm. Very okay. interesting. Speaking of momentum, mm. when are you all going to add the Bitcoin ETF? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think we will ever have a Bitcoin ETF, Not at least maybe not from <laughs> Afin Huang uh, okay. in the near future. Why is that? We are not big believers of Bitcoin I because see. there's no way to yeah. price okay. Bitcoin. Okay. It's purely speculative and depends on you know supply and demand okay um yeah so so fundamentally you know we don't know how to value this thing so mm. so the other day our cio uh, actually gave this analogy about bitcoin so okay. he said that you know bitcoin is like a piece of art okay
0: yeah yeah
1: who is going to value is it based on you know how many num- the number of paint color they use or the strokes or whatever right mm-hmm. so it's just purely depending on you mm. as Oh. Person, look at that particular art and say that hey, I think this is valued that one million bill. or whatever, you know. So that's how, um, you know, yeah, right. we view Bitcoin as a house, okay?
0: So even if there is a Big and growing market. You also won't be like not tempted, uh. not tempted. <laughs> You can be you no. Know, they can be auction house like Christie's, uh, you know, rather yeah. than
2: trying to put the asset, yeah. they become the auction house to yeah. to to sell a Monet or a Van Gogh
3: or.
0: Because <laughs> yeah. I think if you all if you do a Bitcoin, you all will be probably like the second in the whole world. No? I yeah. think right yeah. now there's one called grayscale. Oh yeah, grayscale Bitcoin. The yeah. 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 yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Not to be confused with Graylock Partners, yeah. which is yeah, like... yeah, different, different.
0: yeah. Okay, okay. So uh, it is. Approaching one hour there, I can't believe it, mm. it flew by so far. So mm. I, I I do have really only one last question, on you, or, or a couple of last questions. Yeah. If you have more, you know, ask away. Yeah. But now I really want to ask you about this. You cannot talk about ETF without talking about robo advisors. Correct. Mm. So what do you think of robo advisors? But before that, the context of uh why
2: uh what is a robo advisor?
0: Yes, yes. And also
2: why is it gaining in popularity? Yeah.
1: Mm. I think robo advisors at the end of the day. Is not much different between a conventional fund house like Afin Huang Asset Management. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that they do not employ uh, many fund managers or analysts to look at what to buy mm. or what to sell. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what they do is they leverage on technology. Mm-hmm. Some call it, you know, artificial intelligence, AI, and whatever not. Um, and all they are trying to do is just. Um, manage a portfolio for investors. And the instrument that they chose to use are ETFs Mm -hmm. and not buying into individual stocks directly. Mm -hmm. So if you ask me, um, buying into or investing into a robot advisors um, is just like you going to a fund house like Afin Huang and buy into a fund of funds. Mm. The difference is fund of funds, um, our fund manager looks at it and then decide what to buy and what to sell and what to include into the portfolio, but for robot advisors, what they do is they use technology. Rules, so rules based, yeah, rules based. Um, you know, and and depending on how they you know construct their their rules, yeah, then it is then they decide what goes into the portfolio and what what doesn't goes into the portfolio. It's
0: a bit like the ETFs are basically the ingredients, yes, and then the algorithms the cake la.
2: The algorithm is the recipe to the cake. Yeah, yeah, the recipe, yeah,
0: yeah. right, yeah.
2: Okay okay, so why, why do you think they gain in popularity versus mm. uh, issuers like you guys i mean what's the what's the you
1: know? yeah <laughs> I mean if you think about it at the end of the day it's the convenience okay
2: to transact right. okay
1: so um many people don't like to see a person. Um,
2: You're good looking, while you come people <laughs> don't, don't not, want
1: to see you? I'm not a salesperson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Maybe, Maybe. there's an Affin <laughs> app, you know, yeah. but I can buy yeah. all the it. it we yeah. actually
1: have uh, an Affin oh. app which yeah. we have launched recently. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's called Allocate Plus. Okay. But you can't buy ETFs at Ay-oh. the moment <laughs> <Okay. Ay-oh. laughs> because ETFs Halif? are traded on, on the exchange. exchange yes. So we are, Ay-oh. you know, coming up with all this innovation to help counter um, such competition that's Understand. coming coming from right. uh, mm. externally mm. and I think um, you know that's one thing and then of course they have been talking about fees yeah um, um, but if you really were to compare um, say for example investing into ETF directly versus
0: stash away, you yeah. know stash away let's see
1: then I would say that the fees are more or less the same the only right. difference is that you know you you um, you have to make your own decision when it comes to picking your own ETF. Mm, yeah. And then doing that transaction yourself. Okay. Yeah. So you know, like some people will say, I just want to do a regular savings. Every month I don't care, I just throw in a hundred dollars to mm, the mm. platform. But if they want to do it on an ETF on Bursa, mm. no broker in Malaysia offers such yeah, service.
2: Like a dividend mm. reinvestment plan or something. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. at
1: the end of the day, if you ask me, it's really about how easy it is, yeah, yeah to to invest.
2: Just just hopping on that point also uh, what's stopping someone like affin as, mm. as an issuer to provide this kind of functionality to the to the consumer I mean since you know that the competition is doing that um, what what's stopping you guys from doing it
1: actually there's nothing stopping us from doing it uh, then <laughs> <laughs>
2: there's
0: really
1: nothing stopping us from doing it um, we we can yeah. um, easily do that as well mm-hmm. uh, but at the end of the day but we are not really in technology so that would ah, actually yeah, right. means that a conventional uh, fund management company needs to um, invest in technology uh, invest uh, into you know these algorithms and things like that mm. um, which may not be a priority at the moment I, I would say I yeah mm. wow. but it's it's to be honest it's quite easy yeah, yeah, uh, to uh, do that
2: yeah exactly Um Also on the point about the algorithms, and I was reading some academic papers about how risk is actually managed in a robo-advisor and all that, right? Maybe can you, in a way, enlighten us of how uh, risk profile of the client against a basket of ETF, is there any difference in between a robo-advisor and someone uh, who is doing DIY his own ETF investment?
1: I think when you talk about risk, um, there are many, Many different measures, right? Okay. Um. So, your portfolio, if you DIY yourself, mm. your portfolio and my portfolio definitely has got different risk level. That's right. Right. Okay. Um. And there are also different measures of risk. Mm. How do you measure risk, right? Mm, mm. Do you look at volatility of your portfolio? Correct. Or what do you look at? Yes. Right. Yes. So there isn't really like a a yardstick that measures. Risk.
2: Understand.
1: Um, so So. at the end of the day, uh, different robo-advisors will have their different um, way of computing risk. Okay. So basically at the end of the day, it's just a set of questions that they ask you as an investor. Mm-hmm. And then they will say that, okay, you fall in this basket with a risk level moderate, for mm. example. Mm. And because you are moderate, I will give you a portfolio that matches your risk profile. Mm. And you know, in terms of asset class um, diversification, maybe, I mean, just take for example, uh, yeah. it could be 50% equities, 50% Percent bonds, bonds right. right? And if you have a higher risk, that just means that I'm going to swing your portfolio to a higher um, equities uh, portion in terms of asset allocation. Yes. So essentially, that's that's what it means. Uh. Yeah. And at the end of the day, um, when they quantify your risk, they will give you a portfolio that commensurates with your Risk profile. Your risk profile, yeah. yeah. And and I would figure that based on the Robot Advisors platform, um if I and you you and I have the same risk profile, we'll probably going to be given the same, the same portfolio exactly. the same basket yeah,
3: yeah. yeah.
2: No, the reason why I asked is because in my experience when I was a unit trust consultant we have this thing this form called an SA form I don't know if it is yeah it,
1: suitability it. assessment <laughs> form it's still uh, there
2: sorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, pardon me for saying this but I think it's a, a lot of crap uh, because the, <laughs> because the questions uh, are so general and so yeah how would you view uh, volatility? You know, it's, it's very subjective. It's a, it leaves a lot yeah. to interpretation. I, I'm I, Thank God you agree with me.
1: <laughs> well, at the end of the day, you must understand, investing is actually an art. Yes, mm-hmm. It's not science, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, as yeah, much as right. you want to try to, say, put it in buckets, guys, this is
0: coming from a math major. <laughs>
1: yeah, this is coming from <laughs> a uh, math, math major, major guys. guys. You cannot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, and uh, probably one last question with regards to, uh, is in a way, the robo advisory risk management, risk profiling, any way superior to that of uh, a man, SA. Yeah, as an SA mm. form or a man managed <laughs> risk. Mm. I mean, in your personal opinion, I mean, yeah.
1: Um, I am not really sure it's gonna it whether it's superior or not. Mm. To be very honest, mm. um. All I can say is that they can customise it a lot maybe better because when you leverage on technology, mm. you get things done faster. Scalable. And, and it's scalable. Mm. Um, whereas if you take um, a human to do, you know, say risk profiling for an investor, mm. it boils down to a lot of other more subjective um, measurements right like for example I look at you mm. uh, even though you can tell me that I can take risks you know I can lose 20 30 yeah, yeah, percent yeah. but at the end of the day when this guy actually loses 20 30 percent he cannot sleep he will be coming
0: yeah. a <laughs> yeah, be in like one. you know
1: what are you doing you know um so so yeah
0: an uh, like above average uh, driver you know? yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah so so
1: that's why I say it's not easy to, mm. so I wouldn't say it's it's, it's more superior. There are definitely pros and cons,
2: yeah. But no, the reason why I'm asking is because there's a lot of perceptions that the robo advisories, because of their algo, is much more, more superior, and I'm I'm actually against that,
1: yeah. But uh, do you if, know what's in their algo exactly? <laughs> yeah, that,
2: that, that's the point. I mean, if
1: you like it, you can say that it's a black box, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah you yeah. don't yeah. know what's, what's inside, yeah. yeah. I and mean, when they change, you wouldn't even know,
2: yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly,
0: right? Exactly. right. Okay, you, so, MJ. um, look. Uh, thank you so much for your time right? but before we go um, in five sentences or less right why should a Malaysian hop on the ETF on the ship, yeah. yeah, the mm. bandwagon this ferry why should we hop mm. on the ETF
1: or? I think at the end of the day you shouldn't confine yourself to just inven- investing into one asset class mm-hmm. right you should diversify uh, and if you like um, the fact that you can get to offshore markets like mm. China, like FANG, mm. without having to figure out, you know, whether I should open an account with eToro, which is technically speaking illegal in Malaysia. Not regulated. But, but yeah, yeah, and then all this tiger broker and yeah. whatever not, yes. which are illegal yes. uh, in a way. And you don't want to be paying very costly brokerage to a local broker.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, then, you know, the local ETFs, which gives you foreign exposure, mm-hmm. would make it perfect uh for, for an investor. I see. Yeah. And and it makes sense if you ask me. Okay. Um and if you do especially if you don't like to pay high fees uh-huh. to um your unit trust consultants, um then all the more you should jump into the ETF bandwagon. But of course you know not all ETFs are created equal and yeah. it's good. Mm-hmm. You still need to do your own due diligence mm. and you know basically pick the the ETFs that suits you. So for me um it's very simple if you have decided that you want to allocate, say, 10% to China, okay. you then look at China funds, China ETFs. I see. Which mm. one gives you, you know, the exposure you want, uh, and then if they give you similar exposure, then look into the performances, look into the fees that you are paying. Yeah. So if you think ETF makes sense to you, then just go and go ahead with ETF. Okay. So I, I prefer to, you know, take on a more neutral approach lah. Okay. Uh because at the end of the day, even for myself, I don't just say, you know, buy ETF because I
0: Yeah. I that's yeah. my
1: KPI, yeah. you yes, know. Yes. I, I don't do that. La. Yeah.
0: Thanks All for right. your
2: non-biasedness. Yes,
0: name. Thank, Thanks for your honesty. And guys, there you have it. Uh pretty <laughs> much I think I think this is the most extensive episode yeah, man. you will ever get on ETF. Get on ETF. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I would say even globally.
2: I, I do have one question, uh yeah. not so much on the ETF topic. It maybe from her perspective of working in the financial industry what is your wish for the malaysian public especially in sense of managing their finance
1: mm, i think um, everybody needs to know a little bit about finance okay right yep. because you don't want to be putting your money into fd mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. let it rot away okay right so go you know learn Okay. That's very very important to me. Um, so like it or not, go and learn mm-hmm. because even if you have a unit trust consultant sitting right in front of you, you don't know whether this guy is for you or not.
3: Mm-hmm. He can right. be
1: selling you a bunch of things just because he makes a lot of money out of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so you as an investor needs to learn, okay. needs to understand before you jump into any your you know investment journey. Invest. So so most importantly is you know invest in yourself. Go learn. There are lots of free resources. Go read up. There are lots of free webinars that yeah. you can join, um, and and from there, um, you know, upskill yourself, and then decide what which investment product suits you best.
0: Thank yeah. you so much. That's Thank excellent. You. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Sally uh, Chu. Uh definitely we want to have you back again when you launch the next eight ETFs. Yeah. <laughs> right. <Sure>. In <laughs> four years or less. Uh, yeah. And yeah, guys, you know, this is an this has been an excellent episode. Um, like I said, you know, I don't think you're gonna get a lot of the information you got here yeah. uh, when it comes to ETFs. We deep dive, like most of the most of the time what we do is we deep dive into we look under the rug, right? What's underneath everything? It's exactly. not just Buying index and grow your money at eight percent every year until you die. It's not so simple. Yeah. So yeah, guys. Uh, you like this kind of content? Of course, remember to uh like and subscribe. And uh, see you in the next episode. Goodbye.
1: Thanks. Bye.